So good to see all of you here in this building. Man, we reopened. May we just put our hands together for the Lord, how he's led us and guided us and that we can be back together in this room. And uh, thankfully, also many are tuning in online. So we get to be a church both here and in the homes. And that's just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Well, I'm, I'm so glad to, to be here and to be continuing a series on covenant. And uh, last week, um, Selena did a tremendous job with the first message on, uh, from the covenant series on uh, basically the covenant of humanity, uh, with humanity uh, through Adam and Eve, between God and Adam and Eve. And that was a powerful message. And today we're going to uh, build on that uh, in, in the message today. And it's actually... Uh, we're we're going to be talking about a story that that may sound very familiar uh, to you guys. Maybe we could just put the picture on the on the screen. Just put the picture. Well, which story are we going to be talking about today? Noah, right? I can't hear you guys at home. Shout a little louder. Maybe we can hear it. Uh, still silence. Uh, too bad. But yes, this is a typical picture that you would find in a children's Bible or when you Google. Um, um, for the story of Noah and the ark, you'll find pictures like this. Um, and it's a bit of a, you know, it's nice. And it looks like, you know, Noah is this, uh, this amazing man that saves the lives of all these animals and stuff. And it's a, it's a really cute children's Bible story. But when you, that's only when you look at it, you know, from the surface. There's so much more going on in the story, which actually um, you probably shouldn't put in a children's Bible because there's people drowning there's, there's animals drowning. There's, there's all this judgment coming over the earth in that story. And, you know, I want to I wanna basically look with you at this story and, and try to make sense of what's going on there, what's, going, what's, what's happening um, below the surface in this, in this powerful Bible story. So let's just pray for a moment, and then we'll get into it. Father, we come to you at this moment. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your house as your people, Lord. Thank you, God, that, that you've led us these past months, that you've equipped us to be the priests of our homes. But, Lord, we are also so thankful, God, that we can gather together in, in this building, Lord. And, and, Father, bless us as we open your word. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so there must be more to the story than just a superficial thing that you see in the children's Bible. And actually, when you look at it more deeply, you see that there's this sinister plan happening. It's being carried out, you know. And I don't even want to dig into, you know, the story of the sons of God who, um, who basically intermarried with human women. And they create this giant offspring that was extremely wicked. This is found in verse 2 and 4 in Genesis chapter 6. I don't even want to dig into that. But there's, a, there's this divine rebellion happening. And at the same time, the people that live there, that live in those days, they're like extremely wicked themselves as well. Genesis 6 verse 5, uh, verse five says this. Um, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of their heart, of his heart, was only evil continually. It doesn't look very, you know, good that's going on here. And in verse 11, the same thing. That the earth was corrupting God's sight, and the earth was filled with, filled with violence. I mean, if you thought you saw violence here in the earth, the days of Noah were way worse than what we see today in this world. It was pretty bad. It was horrible what was going on in the world in those days. 
So God plans to wipe out the whole of humanity, even all the animals, with a flood. And, and this flood that, that the Bible speaks about here in Genesis 6 through, through 9 was probably a global flood because there's other you know, stories in, in other you know, ancient cultures that speak about a global flood that, that happened in these days. But they tell a whole different story about who's right and who's wrong and what is good and what is evil. There's, there's like a totally different twist to the story in those other accounts of the flood. And we're going to go with the biblical accounts because uh, we feel, I, I really feel like God is trying to say something really important uh, to us through this, this story here. And this man, Noah, he's the only one who finds favor with, with the Lord, with Yahweh. It says here in, in verse 9 that he was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. A righteous man, blameless in his generation. So when, when I read things like this, I, my mind immediately kind of tells me that, well, this man must be perfect. You know, there's no sin in this man. He's like, he's like, like Superman in a way, like nothing wrong, no evil intentions in his heart. But that's not what the Bible really, you know, explains here. In fact, you see later in the story that Noah actually does make some terrible mistakes in his life. But he was seen as blameless because Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. I believe that that's the best place where we, where we can be. That's the best way we can live our lives, that we walk with God, that we have close fellowship with God. Just like Adam and Eve were, were living in the Garden of Eden, they, they walked with God as well. And now you see Noah walking with God as well. He was seen as blameless. So God tells him to build a boat because of his intention to destroy all flesh. He wanted Noah and his family to survive the flood. And then God says this. This is in verse 18. Chapter 6. Let's go there. Verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall, be male, they shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground, of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to keep, uh, to, shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them." God says that he will establish his covenant with Noah and with his descendants. And then the next verse shows Noah's obedience to the Lord. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. That's, that's a powerful, that's a short verse, but it's a powerful verse. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And that is, I want to give you four life lessons from the story of Noah here, before we dig into the covenant. You think, well, this is going to be a long message. Don't worry. It's not going to be that long. So the first one is this. When God tells you to do something, do all that he commands you to do. When God tells you to do something, do all he commands you to do. So when God asks you, 
a question. When he gives you an assignment, will you do it or will you come up with excuses? Well, I'm too busy. Well, my neighbors may think this and this and this about me if I did this. I mean, think of Noah. <laughs> this guy is, God tells him to build a boat. There is no sign of a flood. There's not even rain happening for many years. And, he, and God tells him to build this boat on dry land. I'm sure the people would have thought about him that, that he was a fool, that he's a crazy guy. He's lost his mind. Yet he still does it. He still does what the Lord commands him to do. When God tells you to do something, do all he commands you to do. Don't try to come up with excuses. Don't try to change God's assignment to you because it, it may sound a little bit more acceptable to the people around you. When God tells you to do something, do it. So Noah is told to bring a pair of every animal, except for the clean animals that were uh, right for sacrifice. God tells him to bring seven pairs of those. And then a flood comes and destroys all of humanity, every living being that lives on dry land. And even, even the giants that, um, that the first verses spoke about, you know, the sons of God, daughters of women, uh, the giants that came out of that, they were wiped out as well. Only Noah and his family survive here. And then 150 days later, the story tells us this. This is a couple of chapters further in chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. So it took many weeks before the land was dry. And then God tells Noah to leave the boat with his family, with the animals. And then this new creation appears, basically. This is a real interesting parallel with the first chapter of Genesis, the chapter of creation. Because, you know, there was, there was water all over the face of the earth. You know, and God speaks a word. And, and the chaos, the primordial chaos, it turns into dry land and it turns into a habitable place. Same thing happens here in the story of Noah. You know, there's water over the earth. There's chaos. And God speaks a word. The waters subside. And a beautiful earth reappears. This is like a new creation that's happening right here in front of our eyes. And the first thing that Noah does when he leaves the boat reveals his loyalty, his, his total commitment to Yahweh, to the Lord. Verse 20, Genesis 8, verse 20, that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, this may not, um, may be hard for us to explain, to understand what a, what a burnt offering is, but a burnt offering is a special kind of offering that was given to a deity, in this case, Yahweh, to basically say, hey, Lord, I'm all in. My life is fully surrendered to you. This is like the most extreme form of worship because... Like you take the animal and sometimes with, with various sacrifices, you were actually uh, allowed to keep some of the meat and you could eat the meat. But with the burnt offering, the whole animal disappears in the fire. And God 
accepts the offering here in Noah as, as Noah like surrenders everything to the Lord. It reveals his loyalty. It reveals where what he feels is most important. This man Noah. Worship, making sure God is number one in his life, was the most important thing for, for this man. That's my second life lesson here. Demonstrating a lifestyle of worship is more important than anything else in life. Demonstrating a lifestyle of worship. Matthew 6, 33 says, says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. It's easy to see what's first, what comes first in somebody's life. You know, you could look at your bank account. You could look at where you spend most of your time. You could look at, you know, how you start your day. Is God really number one in your life? Is he the first and foremost priority of your life? Doesn't mean that you spend eight, eight hours a day worshiping. I'm, I'm sure the worship team does that. They study the Bible, they worship they, the whole day. They don't, don't do anything else. <laughs> That's why they're saying, no. It's not necessarily about how much time we spend, but it's about our heart posture. It's about who we honor with our lives and all the other things that we do. That when you go to your workplace, that even as you are like working, you still honor, do you forget God as you're, as you're making phone calls or behind your computer? Or is God still right in front of you? Are you still honoring him and serving him in, in everything that you do? Demonstrate a lifestyle of worship. And yet Yahweh is pleased with Noah's worship, with Noah's sacrifice. Verse 21, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. It's interesting what it says here. The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. It's like God just wiped out the whole of creation except for Noah and the animals on the ark. And, and, and right after this is all done, he says this. The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. I mean, you would hope that things were better by now, but it wasn't. God was realistic enough to know what, what was in people's hearts. But here's the interesting thing that I really believe God is trying to make a point here that humankind is sustained by grace alone. We're sustained by grace alone. It's only because of what God has done, only because he withholds judgment on the earth, at least for a season until Jesus returns as a judge, as the righteous king. In that season, there is a grace time for people to respond to what Jesus has done for them. That is a powerful thing to realize. Humankind is sustained by grace alone. And that is my third life lesson from the story here. Humankind is sustained by grace alone. And we're saved by grace through faith. There is a, you know, it's not like everybody in the world is saved. We're saved when we actually profess faith, when we demonstrate faith in the one who saved us. That's when salvation really takes place, when salvation really happens. We're saved by grace through faith, but humankind is sustained by grace alone. 
Then we turn to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 9. I told you we'd be going quick, right? Genesis 9, verse 1 and 2. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. This is interesting. Here you see that God blesses and commissions Noah as a new Adam. He gets the very same mandate as Adam received in, basically in Genesis chapter 1 with a few changes to suit the circumstances of a fallen world. Like Adam, Noah was supposed to fill the earth and make the whole earth like, like Eden and fulfill God's Edenic plan. Make the whole of the world like this perfect environment. That is something we, we often forget because Eden in, in Genesis, you know, in the, in the first three chapters of Genesis was like a local area, just one little spot on the earth. And Adam and Eve were supposed to expand that by having children. And the children would also help expand the, um, that Eden, that little bit of Eden over the whole earth. And here Noah gets the same assignment. He gets the same assignment. And we follow in, Noah's, in Adam's and Noah's footsteps and also Jesus' footsteps, who is the last Adam. When we spread the gospel of the kingdom and make Eden visible in this world. I, I told you many times before that the church, the ecclesia, is a new world, God's new world, the kingdom, in the midst of the old world that is perishing. We should never put our hopes in governments. We should never put our hopes in political systems, whether they're left-wing or right-wing. Well, that's the other way around. Doesn't matter. They're never going to save us. They're never going to make the world a better place because, because there's always like some spiritual or human entity that wants to benefit from the power. We're waiting for another savior. We're waiting for another king. And he's going to bring his righteous world into place and he's using us now until he returns to, to make this Eden as global as possible, to invite as many people onwards, uh, on board with this new Eden, with this, basically this Ecclesia. We're called to make Eden visible in the world. We'll follow in Adam's and Moses's, uh, Noah's footsteps. So here's my fourth life lesson. Just like Adam and Noah, God, God calls us to represent him well in the world. God calls us to represent him well in the world. Genesis 9 verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Interesting verse. This verse is used as a proof text to, by countries who have a death penalty. Is this verse really about that? Or is, or is the author of Genesis trying to say something different here? I believe the main focus of this verse is actually not on like blood for like life for life it is on the fact that god made man in his own image that is really what this first verse is about in spite of the sin and the rebellion of mankind mankind still bears god's image 
we still represent him. That means also when, when we bear the image of God, that means that human life is sacred. That means that we're all valuable. Whatever our background is, whatever our language is, whatever our skin color is, whatever, whatever even the sin is that we're involved in, every single being is valuable in God's eyes because we're made in the image of God. That means that we have no right to end human life by means of abortion or euthanasia or murder or any of those reasons. Also, we don't have any right to treat any other human being as less than ourselves. We don't. In fact, you know, this whole discussion about Black Lives Matter and about, you know, you know, basically the discussion to end racism, this was always there in the Bible. God, you know, is the original <laughs> one who is against racism, who, who, who sees everyone as equal at the foot of the cross. It's like Jesus evens everything out. The difference between black and white, the difference between Jew and Gentile, the difference between any other, you know, economic situation that people have, whether you're rich or poor, doesn't matter. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're all equal. Nobody's more valuable. You could have a billion in the bank. You're still considered the same as the person who has nothing. God loves us equally. He has a similar plan for each and every one of us. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. So here's my fifth life lesson. That's the bonus one. Human life is sacred because, because all humans bear God's image. We all bear his image. So I told you this series is called Covenant. So you may wonder, so where is the covenant? When does the covenant pop up in the story here? Well, let's, let's turn to verse 8 in chapter 9. And it will become very clear. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as, as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be, flood, be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow, my bow, 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 bow in the cloud, sorry, rainbow. That means that it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. God established his covenant with Noah and with his offspring. The sign would be the rainbow, which will be a way for mankind to remember that God is gracious to mankind, that God still loves mankind 
in spite of mankind's failure. Because, like I said before, if it weren't for, for God's grace, we would all be destroyed. Again, human, humankind is sustained by God's grace. Here's an, another important thing to see here. It's just very clearly here in the English text that the Dutch Bible isn't as clear here. The covenant between Noah and God was established. Established, not made, but established. In the Hebrew, it uses the word hekim, which actually is translated as established. So this is a good translation. Hekim berit. Berit means covenant. Establish a covenant. And hekim is never used when a covenant is established for the first time. Never. Because when a covenant is, is, is made the first time, the Hebrew uses another word, which is the word karat. Karat berit. Karat means to cut. Like with a knife. Cut a covenant. That's what God does. God cuts a covenant with hum, humankind. So basically, the text here, the, the, the grammar and the, and the language here, explains to us that God establishes a covenant he has made earlier. This is nothing new what's happening right here. He actually establishes the covenant that he made with creation and with Adam and Eve in those first couple of chapters of the Bible. And that's what Selena spoke about last, last week. When God here establishes or rather affirms the covenant with Noah, he is saying that he's going to uphold the covenant he established earlier with Adam and Eve which means God will continue to care for, to preserve, to provide for, and to rule over all that he has made and give them the blessings that he spoke over Adam. And now they belong to Noah and his descendants. The blessings that God initially gave to Adam and Eve now, are, now belong to Noah and his family. The covenant between Noah and the Lord is nothing new. It's just a confirmation of God's love for his creation, reaffirming the covenant with Adam. And as we saw last week, if you paid close attention, there's no covenant language in those first three chapters of the Bible. It doesn't say specifically that God cut a covenant with Adam and Eve. But when you take a close look at the story and the language that is being used there, it becomes very clear that there definitely was a covenant. And the fact that the Hebrew he uses Hakim Berit instead of Karat Berit makes it clear that it's actually a confirmation rather than a first time that a covenant was cut. So here's the original plan from the Lord. To have humans turn the earth into a global Eden where he will live with his human family. There's nothing more that God wants than to live in the same place as you and I live, to be close to his creation. You know, he's, God is not the kind of God who lives far off somewhere in the, in the universe and, and, and doesn't want to have anything to do with his creation because he's too big, he's too good for that. No, he wants to be close to you and I. He wants to be close to his creation because he loves us so much. He created us, you know, not to worship him. Of course, worship is important, but the most important thing that he feels is that we can be his family, that we can be closely together to him. That's what God wants. He wants family. 
So he wants us to, to turn the earth into a global Eden where he will live with his human family. And Adam failed. Noah will eventually fail as well. You'll see that in the, in the story, if you read the story. I'm, we're not going to dig into that right now. And then there's, there will be others that will fail also after Noah, like Abraham and the nation of Israel and David. And finally, Jesus, who's the first one who will not fail. Jesus is the last Adam. He's the perfect Adam. He steps into the, the original assignment that God gave to Adam and Eve. He's the first one to fulfill it as a human being, but also as, as, as the Lord. He's the perfect one who came. And now he gives us a, an assignment, the great commission to basically go out, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, to, to invite people on board with us so that we can, you know, show the influence of the Lord and see the kingdom of God take root in every nation on this earth. And that's what's happening today. That's what you see happening. And even, even in countries that we consider closed, like Iran, like there's, a, there's an amazing move of God happening in a nation like that. And we get to be a part of the same deal, the same assignment here in the Netherlands and maybe in other places through social media and the internet. God is doing something amazing in this earth and he's using ordinary people like you and me to see this come to pass. The, the assignment that he originally gave to Adam and Eve is now ours. And the good news is that we could actually do it in his strength, in his power, led by his Holy Spirit. We don't have to do this in our own strength anymore. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to work on his behalf and see Eden become global. See this perfect world come to pass in the midst of a world that's perishing. God is calling you and I. God is calling you and I to be a 21st century Noah. And that's my challenge for you this morning. And I'm hoping for you to answer this, this call that you would be a 21st century Noah, that you would certainly, that you would step into his, his assignment. What does it look like? Here's four, four things I want to briefly share with you, and then we'll close. How to be a 21st century Noah. The first one is this. Don't follow the world in its wicked ways. The world is perishing. The ways of the world are, get crazier and crazier. We don't have to follow along. We get to be different. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. So that means that we repent of the ways in which we have pledged loyalty to the ways of this world, where we have had the wrong priorities, where, where our attention is, is, is being pulled in all different types of directions. No, we repent of those things, and we don't follow the world in its wicked ways anymore. Instead, we live our lives in loyalty to Jesus, imaging him well, representing him well in this earth, expanding Eden in this world, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Third one is this. 
who are prophetic voices for people who are far away from God and invite them to escape the coming judgment. Yes, there will be a day of judgment. The Bible is clear about it. The day of the Lord is coming. When Jesus returns, he doesn't return as the lamb. He returns as the lion. He returns as the king. He returns as, as a judge. Question is, are we ready for that day? Yes, we are. If we live in loyalty to Jesus, if Jesus is our, our Lord, if he's our king, if, if he's sitting on the throne of our lives, we are ready for this. But let's, let's, let's commit together to get as many other people as possible ready for that moment. And the day of judgment draws near. Could be family members, could be friends, could be neighbors. Let's invite them on board. Allow them to escape this. We're prophetic voices. We, we speak the word of the Lord in our, in our day and season now. Fourth one is this. We build along with the spiritual ark and invite people on board of it. You know what? The, 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 the ark of Noah is such a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. It's such a beautiful picture of the ecclesia, of the local church or the local churches where people profess and demonstrate loyalty to Jesus, where Jesus is our number one. And we all get to be a part of, of that kingdom. We all get to be, have the opportunity to hop on that, that boat, on that ark. And together we build this spiritual ark. And not just, you know, by our effort and being part of the worship team or the welcome team and those things. Those are important. But our, our job is to really be those representatives for, for Jesus in our world, wherever we live our lives, at our workplaces, at school, in our neighborhoods, wherever. And as we are prophetic voices, we don't only warn people of the coming judgment, we also give them the opportunity to join, to make Jesus their king, and to hop on that ark, that spiritual ark that we call the church that's what God wants he wants family he wants those people who are estranged from him who are far away from him who are hurting who may think they found pleasure in whatever sin it may be and he's saying no 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 come on board join me join my family I want to be close to you I want you to be close to me and he's using you and me to get the word out He's using you and me to represent that relationship with the Lord to the best way possible, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants. Maybe we could just close our eyes right now, bow our heads. I believe God is inviting us to be this 21st century Noah. I believe all of us in this room at the moment, God is inviting you. This is not for the person sitting next to you. This is for you. This is your invitation to be a 21st century Noah. Maybe you're here today and you've come to church for a long time or you may, maybe your first time to church and you, you're just wondering if your life is right with God, if you truly are a part of his family. 
God is inviting you to be, to have this family relationship so that he could call you son or daughter. And it's all possible because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. You're saved by grace through faith. And the one thing that you need to do this morning is to profess and to demonstrate faith in Jesus so that you know that you have, your, your, your eternity is secure and you get to be a part of his family. He's inviting you. And so I want, I want you to make a very bold statement. If you say, hey, I want to have Jesus as my king. I want to have him as my Lord. I want to be part of his family. Maybe this is your first time ever, or maybe you've professed loyalty before and, and God is now calling you back to his heart. This is your opportunity today to take a stand for Jesus, to take a stand for Yahweh, to take a stand for his kingdom as you stand up in his presence. So if that's you, if you want to demonstrate loyalty to Jesus, maybe for the first time or maybe you've done this before, but you're welcome to stand to your feet at this moment. Even if you're at home, just do it. Don't worry about what the people in your home think. Just stand up and take a stand for Jesus. Stand up and take a stand for Jesus. Let's pray. I want to pray for you if you've made the decision in your heart. Lord, we, I thank you for every person who professes loyalty to Jesus at this moment. God, we just pray, Lord, that you would draw them near to you, Lord, that you would do something new in their hearts, that you would fill them with your spirit, God, that you would empower them to really live out what it means to be a 21st century Noah, to be your representative in this world, Lord. God, empower each person by your Holy Spirit to do what only you can do through them, Lord. God, your touch.